0: All right, so as A.J. said, we're on Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling's place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, but the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. For he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children.
1: All right, thank you, Tony. I invite you guys to pray with me now as we begin our time into God's word. Let's pray. Father, your your words are trustworthy and true. Father, we hold on to that faith that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so, Father, as we dive into your word today, as we reflect on these words that John has written, I pray that these words would continue to ring in our hearts and give us hope as we acknowledge that Jesus secures us in our future. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So we are continuing on with our last week of this sermon series, Why Jesus? And we've been talking about so many different ways in how we can share our faith in almost like in a non-apologetic kind of way, like like not defending your faith, but being able to share it in a way that's just really kind of like organic and authentic. And and I've really been liking this sermon series because we've been going through so many different ways for us to be able to share our faith and why we believe in Jesus. And, And one of the things that we talked about was Jesus is bigger than, than our little g-gods, right, than those idols, is bigger than us that we try to put ourselves above God or put other things above God, that Jesus continues to reign supreme over all things. And and then we kept talking about how Jesus gives us more than just our own personal identity, right, That, that Jesus conquers over temptation even when we fail to do so, and we can cling to that faith that we have in Christ because he's the perfect one. And last week, we talked, Josh talked about how Jesus redeems our past, which we'll talk a little bit about during this sermon, but, but Jesus takes away all the things that sometimes we hold on to for years and years and years, and we fester up, and, and those things affect us in our daily lives, and how Jesus has redeemed us from that. And so because we talked about Jesus redeeming our past, one of the things that we have to talk about is that Jesus secures our future as well. And one of the things I think is really helpful in understanding this is, is looking at our lives through the view of story, right? Some of you guys have shared uh, some of your favorite books or movies that has a great storyline, and one of the things that I want to share about is uh, an old movie, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm not talking about the 2005 one with Johnny Depp. We kind of don't talk about that one. That one's like, you yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, Johnny Depp, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. Uh, anyways... This is the 1971, which was 50 years ago. Can you believe that? 1971 was 50 years ago? I wasn't born, so I don't really remember. Uh, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder. Anybody watch this? See this movie? Man, it is a classic. It's one of my favorite movies. And I love this idea of story that happens in uh, this movie in itself. So Wonka has this great, huge chocolate factory, right? And he wants to invite people into this factory with him to be able to, to enjoy it together. And so he sends out these golden tickets, and I think five kids end up taking it, and they end up bringing their parents to it, and they, he starts touring them around the factory. And the story continues to go that as he's touring this factory and showing them all these wonderful things, the, these kids continue to fall into temptations, or Chocolate River, and they continue to indulge and take things that are his, that don't belong to them. And because of their brokenness, because they're just kids that continue to want to eat candy, they, they kick them out of the factory. And it gets to the point where, towards the end, there's only one kid left, Charlie, who also did something that he shouldn't have done. But then Willy Wonka wants to give the entire factory to him which is incredible, and I love this story so much because you know, oftentimes when we're watching a movie like this, and I used to watch this as a kid over and over again, and I used to get so excited towards the end because I always had this idea of how this story would end. And, and for most of us, if you're watching a, a movie or if you're watching a TV show or you're reading a book, maybe you're, you're like that person that's like, oh, I know what happens at the end, right? That's why I don't watch movies with my parents anymore because they always get, oh, they might be watching, actually, sorry. I love you, um, but they—they <laughs> uh, they always try to guess the ending. Anybody do that? Try to guess what the ending is, or try to see what the outcome might be. And, and sometimes you're right, and, and sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes the director does something that's completely different than what we would have expected to happen. And, and what I love about this is that when we get into Scripture and we read through the story, not only are we plugged into the story of Scripture, but God has given us a great gift where we know the beginning, we know the middle because we're in it, and we also know the end. And all three of those are really good. Scripture shares with us this hope that, that things were great in the beginning and, and continue to take a downturn, but how God continues to be with his people Not that we're good, but God is good himself throughout all of Scripture and all of life. And he gives us this promise in Revelation 21 that this story ends up being good. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we talk about the book of Revelation, we get an opportunity to talk about the consummation of Jesus' final reign being fulfilled. And all throughout the scripture, we see these moments that are being pulled out from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they are being thrown into Revelation, into this vision that John has that Jesus gives to them. And so you get moments where things from the beginning, like Genesis and the garden is being pulled, and you see some of this language being pulled in. And then you get into the middle of the story, like where Isaiah is, and he starts prophesying all these things, and he gives this hope to the Israelite people. And Isaiah's words are being pulled out of Scripture and being shown in this revelation, in this vision, that things are going to be good. And so with us, as as by faith, we have this end in mind for us and faith is trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, right? These words that we read on a regular basis are true. And the words that have happened in the past have come true. The things that are happening now are coming true. And Jesus' words still reign today and forevermore. And so we're going to talk about how Jesus uh, secures our future through three different kind of ways of looking at the gospel. So we're going to talk about how Jesus uh, reigns. sorry, how Jesus redeems, Jesus reconciles, and Jesus restores. So, we're going to talk about redemption first. So, last week, I know we talked about uh, how Jesus redeems our past. And and this idea of redemption is really like this idea of, of buying back. So, if you have, like, a coupon that someone had gifted you, or if you have a gift card, and you go into a store, and you hand it to somebody, you get something back. And this this moment where Jesus continues to redeem us is he's buying back his people. And and last week we talked about how Jesus uh, takes our personal past and he buys it back, right? In exchange for his life through his death and his resurrection. But not only does he redeem our personal past, but Jesus is redeeming our cosmic past too. And oftentimes we don't really think about how Jesus redeems our, our cosmic past together. I mean like the entire world. And we don't always trust that he's the one that's working. Sometimes we try to find ourselves redeeming our own faults and our own mistakes, and we end up being like Adam and Eve in the garden when they eat the fruit. They realize that they've done wrong against God, and what do they do? They run to bushes, and they cover themselves up, and they hide from God. How often do we do that? In our regular lives, we try to redeem ourselves by trying to hide. But yet, all throughout Scripture, God is constantly pursuing his creation in hopes to make things right. And as you see, as we go through these kind of three different points, we're going to keep going back to the Old Testament and seeing how God was faithful in the beginning, how God was faithful in the middle, and how God continues to be faithful even into our future. So in the garden, God searches for Adam and Eve to buy them back. When, when the Israelites are enslaved in Israel, God buys them back out of slavery towards the wilderness into the promised land. When they're in the promised land, all these enemies are fighting against them, and God continues to fight for them so that he can continue to buy them back to redeem them as his people. And not just through that, but he also provides for people, priests and kings and judges and prophets to continue to care for his people in an effort to continue to redeem them. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus in the Gospels is buying back that that we can be freed only through him, through his sacrifice. And so you see Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes, people who seem so far off from God's people, and He's like, No, I, I want them to come into my family to be with me. Jesus is redeeming us, He's buying back what was once lost. And the incredible thing is that we have a God that actively works through the mess of human failures. Jesus is the one that bridges that separation through his own death and his own resurrection. And it's not anything that we've done, right? We're we're broken. Everyone else is broken throughout history, is completely broken. And it's by grace that Jesus pays our debts. And so in Revelation 21, verse 6, it says this. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost, the spring of the water of life. He says, you guys have been bought. This is free. I want you to take of this water, from this water of life, not by anything that you've done, but what I've done. And Jesus continues to redeem us, and he's still working today. The second thing is this, is that Jesus abolishes brokenness through reconciliation. And I love this idea of reconciliation because reconciliation is more relational than, than redemption. Redemption, we see the act of God working, but in reconciliation, we see the heart of God working. And what we see here in, verse 20, in chapter 21, verse 2, this is what John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband." That is, that is beautiful language. I'm not going to lie, I love weddings. Anybody else get like a little emotional like when you see weddings? One of the things that uh, Chrissy does whenever we go to weddings because when the bride walks down, like, everyone gazes at her and sees the bride, and, you know, people stand up. And that's great. And one of the things that Chrissy does, she always looks back at the groom to see his reaction, too. And it's always this amazing, beautiful thing where the, the groom's face is filled with awe and excitement and joy. And this is the relationship that God wants to have with his people coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And and it's this beautiful idea that that in marriage, the two shall become one again, that God will be with his people and his people will be with God. And and Jesus is bringing us back into right relationship with himself, with others, and the world. And and by the world, I mean like the, the actual world, like like, not just Americanized Christianity, but where all tribes and tongues and languages come together under the reign and reconciliation of Christ. It's, it's sometimes hard for me to, to realize that, like, the kingdom of God is bigger than just America sometimes. Anybody feel like that? And when we get to experience when Jesus returns to make all things new, like, it's not going to look like just an Axe Church Sunday morning service where we get together with all tribes and tongues and languages, not just as a collection of different peoples, but as a celebration of different peoples of what God has done. And that means that we might be surprised when Jesus comes to return. Because the reality is that there are people in our lives that we don't always get along with. There might be family members, there might be coworkers, whoever it is. And Jesus is continuing to work reconciliation in our lives now, which means what what happens now is is important for us, that Jesus continues to make reconciliation happen through our own relationships. And Jesus promises to restore those relationships with us and with him too. But but then it keeps going in verse 4. It says this, Jesus will wipe out every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. Uh, Contrary to what most people believe, uh, death is not a natural part of life. It was never in God's plan for death to happen. And what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be no more death. Death. All that pain that we've experienced, all that heartache and and hurt, every tear is going to be wiped from our eyes. That pain and suffering do not belong in this reconciled kingdom of God. This is what Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20 and 25 says. It says, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. And the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Jesus is saying that all, all of creation, all peoples, animals are going to be reconciled underneath Jesus' reign together. And so Jesus offers peace to our relationships, which is great. I love that. That's awesome. Big fan. All right, next one we're going to go into is restoration. Verse 20, Chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this idea of dwelling continues to happen all throughout Scripture, again, through the Old Testament in the middle and in the New Testament where Jesus is reigning. And God dwells with his people through Adam and Eve in the garden. It says that God walks with Adam and Eve in the tabernacle, when God is with them in the Israelites as they're headed out towards the wilderness and into the promised land, and when Jesus dwells with his people in all of creation in the Gospels as well. This idea of dwelling means to, to make a home, to make residence with people. And he says, when, when all things come together, I'm not just going to go away. I'm not going to make everything new and just go away. I'm, I'm actually going to stay here with you. And I get a chance to be able to restore all things and, and finally restore our relationship by being fully together with you. And, and this is so countercultural to, to us today. Because there's this thing that happens even in Christianity and, and throughout mainly America, I'm assuming. Uh, it's this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a big word. You don't really need to know the word itself. But it basically says that, you know, if you're just good and you can just do good things then God's going to bless you. God's going to give you great things. Just just be a good person. Or or that God will just continue to tolerate all these different things and give you comfort, and he doesn't really care about your livelihood. Or or this idea that that God only comes in when there's there's crisis that happens, when bad things really happen. And this is cultural to what Jesus is saying in in Revelation 21, he says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. I don't, you're, you're not good. I understand, but, but I'm good. And I want you to trust in that. And there are times that God comforts us, but there's also times that God challenges us too and, and calls us to repent and to turn away from our brokenness. But also there's this reality that God says, no, 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 I, I'm going to stay here with you. And I'm going to dwell among my people and be with you. There's this is radical inclusivity that says, "I, I want to be with you together." Because John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world." He says, "Come, I want you to come and enjoy this with me." And so God redeems, God reconciles, and God restores. Now you guys can walk away from this and say, "Man, like that sounds really great." AJ, I love this. I. Man, it just sounds awesome. I can't wait to go to heaven, and I can't wait to experience all this stuff. But I think also the reality is that the goal of the Christian life is not just heaven. I know that sounds weird, but there's always this false Christian assumption of, like, I can't wait to go to heaven. But, but Jesus, when he says to the thief on the cross, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. The only reality that's true is that paradise is when we're with Jesus, is when we're fully with God, reunited with him, and God chooses to continue to dwell with his people, which is paradise, and this is kind of weird because now we're in this state of like, okay, well now what? We have this hope that God promises to us this, but we're really not in it yet. And it's kind of like this weird paradox that we find ourselves in in a regular daily life. But it's the reality that God is still working now. Not only is God going to reconcile or redeem or restore in the future, but God is currently doing that. He's been as we speak now. That God continues to work in through you and me to redeem, to, to bring reconciliation to Himself and to other people. And to bring restoration to us by reminding us that he continues to dwell with us. And this is an invitation for us to be able to join Jesus on his mission. Not to prove that God exists, but to give a glimpse of his character and who he is through what we do. If you want to prove how how God exists, it's when we reflect Christ by loving others when it's culturally, socially, and personally impossible. The same way that Jesus did. And this is the hope that we have in us as as baptized believers. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we will be certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That Christ's death and resurrection is hope and joy and security for us that, that our bodies are one day going to be resurrected and that we get to live in that hope and that excitement to be able to share that good news with other people too. And there was this guy in the Old Testament. He goes by Solomon. I don't know if you guys know him. Uh, maybe not personally. Um, but he... Uh, was the wisest man, had all these riches, all this fame, he was king, and he wrote this little book called Ecclesiastes. And and the premise of the book is like, man, I got everything that I ever wanted, and and everything just really kind of seems meaningless, except for God. Everything seems meaningless without God. And this is what he says here. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him whatever is, has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. That God calls us into a life, a new life with Christ in the already-not-yet kingdom that he's going to bring back and restore and redeem and reconcile all things to himself. I invite you guys to pray with me. God, I thank you for your word and for your truth. And and Lord, these words uh, of this revelation of John are often exciting, but also uh, nerve-wracking. As we continue to to lean on you and and continue to have faith, Lord, I pray that these words are, are true and trustworthy. Father, I pray that as we continue to live out this hope for the future that you are going to restore and redeem all things and reconcile all things and all people, that you would instill in us that same redemption, that same reconciliation, that same restoration, to be able to live out a life that loves other people too. Father, I thank you so much for, for your word and for your heart and for your son that continues to lay down his life for us so that we can lay down our life for other people and learn to love other people in the image of your Son. We thank you, it's in Jesus' name we pray,
0: amen. All right, so as A.J. said, we're on Revelation 21, one to seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling's place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, but the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new.
1: all right thank you tony i invite you guys to pray with me now as we uh, begin our time into god's word let's pray father your your words are trustworthy and true father we hold on to that faith that jesus is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and so father as we dive into your word today as we reflect on these words that john has written i pray that these words would continue to ring in our hearts and give us hope as we acknowledge that Jesus secures us in our future. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So we are continuing on with our last week of this sermon series, Why Jesus? And we've been talking about so many different ways in how we can share our faith in almost like in a non-apologetic kind of way, like like not defending your faith, but being able to share it in a way that's just really kind of like organic and authentic. And and I've really been liking this sermon series because we've been going through so many different ways for us to be able to share our faith and why we believe in Jesus. And, And one of the things that we talked about was Jesus is bigger than than our little G gods, right? Then those idols is bigger than us that we try to put ourselves above God or put other things above God, that Jesus continues to reign supreme over all things. And, and then we kept talking about how Jesus gives us more than just our own personal identity, right? That, that Jesus conquers over temptation even when we fail to do so. And we can cling to that faith that we have in Christ because he's the perfect one. And last week, we talked, Josh talked about how Jesus redeems our past, which we'll talk a little bit about during this sermon, but, but Jesus takes away all the things that sometimes we hold on to for years and years and years, and we fester up, and, and those things affect us in our daily lives, and how Jesus has redeemed us from that. And so because we talked about Jesus redeeming our past, one of the things that we have to talk about is that Jesus secures our future as well. And one of the things that I think is really helpful in understanding this is, is looking at our lives through the view of story, right? Some of you guys have shared uh, some of your favorite books or movies that has a great storyline, and one of the things that I want to share about is uh, an old movie, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm not talking about the 2005 one with Johnny Depp. We kind of don't talk about that one. That one's like, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, Johnny Depp, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. Uh, anyways... This is the 1971, which was 50 years ago. Can you believe that? 1971 was 50 years ago? I wasn't born, so I don't really remember. Uh, But Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder. Anybody watch this? See this movie? Man, it is a classic. It's one of my favorite movies. And I love this idea of story that happens in uh, this movie in itself. So Wonka has this great, huge chocolate factory, right? And he wants to invite people into this factory with him to be able to, to enjoy it together. And so he sends out these golden tickets, and I think five kids end up taking it, and they end up bringing their parents to it, and they, he starts touring them around the factory. And the story continues to go that as he's touring this factory and showing them all these wonderful things, the, these kids continue to fall into temptations or chocolate river, and they continue to indulge and take things that are his, that don't belong to them. And because of their brokenness, because they're just kids that continue to want to eat candy, they, they kick them out of the factory. And it gets to the point where towards the end, there's only one kid left, Charlie, who also did something that he shouldn't have done. But then Willy Wonka wants to give the entire factory to him, which is incredible. And I love this story so much because, you know, oftentimes when we're watching a movie like this, and I used to watch this as a kid over and over again, and I used to get so excited towards the end because I always had this idea of how this story would end. And for most of us, if you're watching a movie or if you're watching a TV show or you're reading a book, maybe you're you're like that person that's like, oh, I know what happens at the end, right? That's why I don't watch movies with my parents anymore because they always get, oh, they might be watching, actually. Sorry. I love you. Um, but <laughs> they, uh, they always try to guess the ending. Anybody do that? Try to guess what the ending is or try to see what the outcome might be? And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes the director does something that's completely different than what we would have expected to happen. And what I love about this is that when we get into scripture and we read through the story, not only are we plugged into the story of scripture, but God has given us a great gift where we know the beginning, we know the middle because we're in it, and we also know the end. And all three of those are really good. Scripture shares with us this hope that that things were great in the beginning and and continue to take a downturn. But how God continues to be with his people, not that we're good, but God is good himself throughout all of Scripture and all of life. And, And he gives us this promise in Revelation 21 that this story ends up being good. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we talk about the book of Revelation, we get an opportunity to talk about the consummation of Jesus' final reign being fulfilled. And all throughout the scripture, we see these moments that are being pulled out from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they are being thrown into Revelation, into this vision that John has that Jesus gives to them. And so you get moments where things from the beginning, like Genesis and the garden is being pulled, and you see some of this language being pulled in. And then you get into the middle of the story, like where Isaiah is, and he starts prophesying all these things, and he gives this hope to the Israelite people. And Isaiah's words are being pulled out of Scripture and being shown in this revelation, in this vision, that things are going to be good. And so with us, as, as by faith, we have this end in mind for us, and faith is trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, right? These words that we read on a regular basis are true. And the words that have happened in the past have come true. The things that are happening now are coming true. And Jesus' words still reign today and forevermore. And so we're going to talk about how Jesus uh, secures our future through three different kind of ways of looking at the gospel. So we're going to talk about how Jesus uh, reigns. I'm sorry, how Jesus redeems, Jesus reconciles, and Jesus restores. So we're going to talk about redemption first. So last week, I know we talked about uh, how Jesus redeems our past. And and this idea of redemption is really like this idea of, of buying back. So if you have, like, a coupon that someone had gifted you, or if you have a gift card, and you go into a store and you hand it to somebody, you get something back. And this this moment where Jesus continues to redeem us is he's buying back his people. And and last week we talked about how Jesus uh, takes our personal past and he buys it back, right? In exchange for his life through his death and his resurrection. But not only does he redeem our personal past, but Jesus is redeeming our cosmic past too. And oftentimes we don't really think about how Jesus redeems our, our cosmic past together. I mean like the entire world. And we don't always trust that he's the one that's working. Sometimes we try to find ourselves redeeming our own faults and our own mistakes. And we end up being like Adam and Eve in the garden when they eat the fruit. They realize that they've done wrong against God. And what do they do? They run to bushes and they cover themselves up. And they hide from God. How often do we do that? In our regular lives, we try to redeem ourselves by trying to hide. But yet, all throughout Scripture, God is constantly pursuing his creation in hopes to make things right. And as you see, as we go through these kind of three different points, we're going to keep going back to the Old Testament and seeing how God was faithful in the beginning, how God was faithful in the middle, and how God continues to be faithful even into our future. So in the garden, God searches for Adam and Eve to buy them back. When, when the Israelites are enslaved in Israel, God buys them back out of slavery towards the wilderness and the promised land. When they're in the promised land, all these enemies are fighting against them, and God continues to fight for them so that he can continue to buy them back to redeem them as his people. And, and not just through that, but he also provides for people, priests and kings and judges and prophets to continue to care for his people in an effort to continue to redeem them. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus in the Gospels is buying back that that we can be freed only through him, through his sacrifice. And so you see Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes, people who seem so far off, from God's people. And he's like, no, I, I want them to come into my family to be with me. Jesus is redeeming us. He's buying back what was once lost. And the incredible thing is that we have a God that actively works through the mess of human failures. Jesus is the one that bridges that separation through his own death and his own resurrection. And it's not anything that we've done, right? We're, we're broken. Everyone else is broken throughout history. is completely broken. And it's by grace that Jesus pays our debts. And so in Revelation 21, verse 6, it says this. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost, the spring of the water of life. He says, you guys have been bought. This is free. I want you to take of this water, from this water of life, not by anything that you've done, but what I've done. And Jesus continues to redeem us, and he's still working today. The second thing is this, is that Jesus abolishes brokenness through reconciliation. And I love this idea of reconciliation because reconciliation is more relational than than redemption. Redemption, we see the act of God working, but in reconciliation, we see the heart of God working. And what we see here in in chapter 21, verse 2, this is what John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That is that is beautiful language. I'm not gonna lie, I love weddings. Anybody else get like a little emotional like when you see weddings? One of the things that uh, Chrissy does whenever we go to weddings. Because when the bride walks down, like everyone gazes at her and sees the bride and you know, people stand up and that's great. And one of the things that Chrissy does, she always looks back at the groom to see his reaction too. And it's always this amazing, beautiful thing where the, the groom's face is filled with awe and excitement and joy. And this is the relationship that God wants to have with his people coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And and it's this beautiful idea that that in marriage, the two shall become one again, that God will be with his people and his people will be with God. And and Jesus is bringing us back into right relationship with himself, with others, and the world. And and by the world, I mean like the, the actual world, like like, not just Americanized Christianity, but where all tribes and tongues and languages come together under the reign and reconciliation of Christ. It's, it's sometimes hard for me to, to realize that, like, the kingdom of God is bigger than just America sometimes. Anybody feel like that? And, and when we get to experience when Jesus returns to make all things new, like, it's not going to look like just an Axe Church Sunday morning service. Where we get together with all tribes and tongues and languages, not just as a collection of different peoples, but as a celebration of different peoples of what God has done. And that means that we might be surprised when Jesus comes to return, because the reality is that there are people in our lives that we don't always get along with. There might be family members, there might be co-workers. whoever it is. And Jesus is continuing to work reconciliation in our lives now, which means what what happens now is is important for us, that Jesus continues to make reconciliation happen through our own relationships. And Jesus promises to restore those relationships with us and with him too. But but then it keeps going in verse 4. It says this, Jesus will wipe out every tear from their eyes. and There will be no more death. Uh, contrary to what most people believe, uh, death is not a natural part of life. It was never in God's plan for death to happen. And what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be no more death. All all that pain that we've experienced, all that heartache and, and hurt, every tear is going to be wiped from our eyes. That pain and suffering do not belong in this reconciled kingdom of God. This is what Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20 and 25 says. It says, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. And the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Jesus is saying that all all of creation, all peoples, animals are going to be reconciled underneath Jesus' reign together. And so Jesus offers peace to our relationships, which is great. I love that. That's awesome. Big fan. All right, next one we're going to go into is restoration. Verse 20, Chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this idea of dwelling continues to happen all throughout Scripture, again, through the Old Testament, in the Middle, and in the New Testament when Jesus is reigning. And God dwells with his people through Adam and Eve in the garden. It says that God walks with Adam and Eve in the tabernacle, when God is with them in the Israelites as they're headed out towards the wilderness and into the promised land, and when Jesus dwells with his people in all of creation in the gospels as well. This idea of dwelling means to, to make a home, to make residence with people. And he says, when, when all things come together, I'm not just going to go away. I'm not going to make everything new and just go away. I'm, I'm actually going to stay here with you and I get a chance to be able to restore all things and finally restore our relationship by being fully together with you. And this is so countercultural to, to us today because there's this thing that happens even in Christianity and throughout mainly America, I'm assuming. Uh, it's this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a big word. You don't really need to know the word itself. But it basically says that, you know, if you're just good and you can just do good things, then God's gonna bless you. God's gonna give you great things. Just, just be a good person. Or, or that God will just continue to tolerate all these different things and give you comfort, and He doesn't really care about your livelihood. Or, or this idea that, that God only comes in when there's this crisis that happens, when bad things really happen. And this is cultural to what Jesus is saying in. In Revelation 21, he says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. I don't, you're, you're not good. I understand, but, but I'm good. And I want you to trust in that. And there are times that God comforts us, but there's also times that God challenges us too and, and calls us to repent and to turn away from our brokenness. But also, there's this reality that God says, No, 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 no. I, I'm going to stay here with you and I'm going to dwell among my people and be with you. this this radical inclusivity that says, I want to be with you together. Because John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. He says, come, I want you to come and enjoy this with me. And so God redeems, God reconciles, and God restores. Now, you guys can walk away from this and say, man, like that sounds really great. AJ, I love this. I man, it just sounds awesome. I can't wait to go to heaven, and I can't wait to experience all this stuff. But I think also the reality is that the goal of the Christian life is not just heaven. I know that sounds weird, but there's always this false Christian assumption of, like, I can't wait to go to heaven. But, but Jesus, when he says to the thief on the cross, he says, today you will be with me in paradise the only reality that's true is that paradise is when we're with jesus it's when we're fully with god reunited with him and god chooses to continue to dwell with his people which is paradise and this is kind of weird because now we're in this state of like okay well now what we have this hope that god promises to us this but we're really not in it yet and it's kind of like this weird paradox that we find ourselves in in a regular daily life. But it's the reality that God is still working now. Not only is God going to reconcile or redeem or restore in the future, but God is currently doing that. He's been as we speak now. That God continues to work in through you and me to redeem, to, to bring reconciliation to Himself and to other people. And to bring restoration to us by reminding us that he continues to dwell with us. And this is an invitation for us to be able to join Jesus on his mission. Not to prove that God exists, but to give a glimpse of his character and who he is through what we do. If you want to prove how how God exists, it's when we reflect Christ by loving others when it's culturally, socially, and personally impossible. The same way that Jesus did. And this is the hope that we have in us as as baptized believers. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will be certainly also be united with him in a resurrection. Like his, that Christ's death and resurrection is hope and joy and security for us. That that our bodies are one day going to be resurrected, and that we get to live in that hope and that excitement to be able to share that good news with other people too. And, and there was this guy in the Old Testament. He goes by Solomon. I don't know if you guys know him. Uh, maybe not personally, um, but he uh, was the wisest man. Had all these riches all this fame. He was king, and he wrote this little book called Ecclesiastes, and the premise of the book is like, man, I got everything that I ever wanted, and everything just really kind of seems meaningless, except for God. Everything seems meaningless without God, and this is what he says here. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity in the human heart Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. That God calls us into a life, a new life with Christ in the already-not-yet kingdom that he's going to bring back and restore and redeem and reconcile all things to himself. I invite you guys to pray with me. God, I thank you for your word and for your truth. And and Lord, these words uh, of this revelation of John are often exciting, but also uh, nerve-wracking. As we continue to to lean on you and and continue to have faith, Lord, I pray that these words are, are true and trustworthy. Father, I pray that As we continue to live out this hope for the future that you are going to restore and redeem all things and reconcile all things and all people, that you would instill in us that same redemption, that same reconciliation, that same restoration to be able to live out a life that loves other people too. Father, I thank you so much for for your word and for your heart and for your son that continues to lay down his life for us so that we can lay down our life for other people and learn to love other people in the image of your son. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.